I want to start this morning by saying I think something is wrong. I don't think things are as they should be. Something's not right. Now we can see that in the world right now, that's obvious. But I think it's true of the church as well. I think it's true, and when I say the church, I'm not specifically talking about Jubilee, although I will be soon, but I mean the church. Certainly in this country, there's something wrong. And I think God wants to lift us out of our comfortable ways and put something right. What a way to start. <laughs> what a way to start. You know, when I got here this morning, I was just checking my notes and thought, oh no, I didn't actually write an introduction. I never went back to it. I never went back to, to get it started. And so there it is. That's the introduction. <laughs> We're going to look at David again this morning. And at a time when he was in a really uncomfortable position. Now, if you've got a Bible, turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 22. We're going to just read the first five verses of that, because we'll see the position that David is in. 1 Samuel 22, the first five verses, that's all we'll read. It says this, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Ajalam. When his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold, which is the cave. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went in to the forest of Herath. In the part of the story, in David's story that we're looking at today, this is back to when he wasn't king, before he was king, and he was on the run from Saul. Now, I'm not going to go into all that happened in the run-up to this because it's a long story, but we find David in the cave of Adjulam, sometimes, as it says in, in that passage, referred to as a stronghold, but certainly a safe place, a place where he can hide out and hide from Saul. But somehow word got out that he was there to those who knew him. And he tells us in verse 1, all his family came, but not just his family, there were others who came. And in verse 2 we read, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. Bitter in soul means Anybody who was an outcast, 
who had been cast out, who wasn't a part anymore, who didn't belong anymore. You see, David had made a name for himself. He'd been fighting against the enemies of Israel, and people knew him. He had a reputation. They were singing songs about him. But they also knew something of his heart, which is what our series has been about. Because look who it was who came to him. If it was just a reputation for being good in battle and being some kind of hero, he'd have gathered a certain kind of person. But look at who he attracted. It was the ones in debt, the ones in distress, the outcasts. They knew something of his heart. They knew that God was with him. You're not going to hang around with a man who's good with a sword unless you know you're going to be welcomed. He was pretty handy with that sword, but they weren't afraid of him. They knew that as the outcasts, they were going to be welcomed. Does that safe place for the outcast remind you of something? Does it remind you of someone? Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, the outcasts. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, an opening of the prison to those who are bound. These are the kind of people that not only did David attract, but Jesus said, this is about me, and he attracted those people too. It was an indication of God's heart. It was the outcasts that David gathered. And that was because he was a man after God's own heart. That's one of the outworkings of his heart. So he gathered them. <clears throat> but what did he do with them once he gathered them? Well, it says towards the end of verse 2 that he became commander over them. He was their commander. What this means is he trained them. He got alongside them. He made them into an effective fighting force. We know he was effective because in 2 Samuel 23, 8 to 39, it tells us all sorts of stories about some of these people that he trained. And one of those stories, I'm not going to read all of that, but one of those stories is from this time in the cave of Adullam. In 2 Samuel 23, verses 13 to 17, I'll summarise some of this for, for the sake of time, but it says David was in the stronghold, the Philistines were in Bethlehem, and David said, I would love a drink from the well in Bethlehem. He didn't say, will someone go and get me one? He just said, do you know what? It would be so good to drink of the waters of Bethlehem. So some of these men who he had trained went out and got water from Bethlehem. They went through the, the Philistines. They snuck in through all the different enemy lines, went behind enemy lines and got it and brought it back to David. David was so amazed, really, that people would go that far for him that he said, I'm not going to drink it. They risked their lives. I'm going to pour it out. And it was almost an act of worship what he did there. But what that story shows is he gathered a group of people who were the outcasts, the ones in debt, 
the ones who were not welcome anywhere else, and, then, and turned them into effective replicas of himself. There's another word for this training. It's discipleship. I heard someone say it. It's discipleship. He disciples them. He taught them everything he knew, and they obeyed. That reminds me of another passage that Jesus, of, of something Jesus said, which we'll come to in a moment. Well, it's Matthew 28, you know what it is. Matthew 28, go, make disciples, teach them to obey everything that I taught you. Just as we are called by Jesus to make disciples, uh, just, just like David called people and made them into disciples, effective disciples, that's our calling too. David did it. Jesus did it. His followers did it. And we are to do it. But this raises some questions for us. You see, in this story of David, there are two groups here. There are two groups of people. We need to look at which one we are in. We also need to look at, well, who are we gathering like David gathered? And how are we transforming those we gather like David transformed them? Now, I think I'm going to be quite provocative here. You may say it's not, but I think it is. You see, I think there are two ways of doing things on display here. We haven't looked at Saul much, but we know that David was running from Saul. Saul was the king. He was doing king stuff whatever that stuff is. He was in charge. He was doing things the way they do things. Not always the way God wanted him to do it, but he was trundling on doing his thing. He was the establishment, the way it is, the way it is done. David wasn't doing things that way. And I believe there's a warning to the church here that we are in danger of just trundling along and becoming the establishment. Are we just doing things the way we do things because we've always done them that way? Now, I'm not saying that we're doing everything wrong. It's not time to throw the baby out with the bathwater, as the saying goes. I, we, I, this is the most amazing church that we, our family, have ever belonged to. And when I say that, I don't mean the most amazing building. We're losing that. So who cares about the building, in a way? You are the most amazing gathering of the people of God that we have ever belonged to. So I'm not saying this is all wrong. But we have to look at how we do things. When I started and said there was something wrong, it's because I am dissatisfied with the number of people that we are seeing being born again, changed, saved, coming to know Jesus and being added to his people. I am not happy about it. Because where are they? Where are they? We can't just trundle along and hope it happens. Because it won't. Saul's kingdom, in this story, his group was diminishing. It was shrinking. People were leaving it. 
It was losing its effectiveness. And in the end, God withdrew his hand from Saul. And there was David, anointed to be king, although most people wouldn't have known that. But he was a man after God's own heart. And that's attractive. He welcomed the outcasts, gathering them, training them, building with them. Have we settled for just being comfortable? Have we settled and become comfortable? Are we just happy with the way things are? The church is supposed to be growing at a much faster rate than it is. We, we, we shouldn't be happy with it. I talked about this a little bit at the family night. When I talk about discipleship and training, I am not talking about just a, a group of Christians getting together doing the accountability thing. Not saying that's wrong, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what we're looking at here. This is about us looking outwards and starting to disciple people that don't even know they're being discipled yet, that don't know Jesus. So if we're supposed to be gathering, if we're supposed to be making disciples, if it's not happening yet, how do we do it? What are we going to do? And when I say we are gathering, I mean we as people, not necessarily our meetings. I'll explain that in a moment. You see, David was able to gather people because he'd affected them in some way. He'd done things that were seen. People knew his reputation because he was around people. He was with people. He was amongst people. This is not about us attracting people to our meetings. Nothing wrong with people coming to our meetings, again. Not saying that's bad, but actually, for most people, as hard as this is to hear from us, for us, for most people, the church is the last place they'll come if they want help. It should be the first, but it's not. This is about us knowing people and going to them, building that reputation with them so that they will gather around us. The only way to draw people in is through contact. You know, we're looking for a new building, aren't we? And it's good and it's the right thing to do. We want a great building. But don't expect that building to be the thing that draws people in. Because it's not going to happen and you will be disappointed. The building is there to provide a place for God's people to meet and to do all sorts of other things which are brilliant. But we're going to be disappointed if we expect that is the thing that draws people in. I firmly believe that God is saying, now, Jubilee Church, is the time for you to get serious about this, about discipleship. Again, that's not to say what's gone before has been wrong. It's been right and it's been good and it's been godly. And God has done it. But now, it's time to add something to what we're doing. It's should be there. And in many cases it is. There are people here doing this. Again, don't, 
don't get me wrong, I, I, don't, I don't want to ne negate or put down what people are doing. I just think we need a rallying cry to say now, now is the time to put our foot on the gas of discipleship and let's move, let's get going. But it's going to need change. The only way people will know anything about you and who you know is through close proximity. Close proximity to those who don't know him. So people can see you, hear you, get to know you. If you're not in close proximity to those who don't know Jesus, then you're not going to see people discipled this way. It's just not going to happen. So Matthew 28, go therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Today, Jesus is not just appointing a few special people to do this. There is an expectation that everybody does this, that this is for all of us. So it needs to be simple. And it is simple. In the passage from 1 Samuel, David, he's not the king. He's on the run. He's in hiding. Saul's trying to kill him. But he doesn't let his situation get the better of him. He doesn't say, well, there's a few things I've got to sort out myself first. You know, I need, I, if I'm king, this will be so much easier. He doesn't say, well, maybe when I'm not fighting for my life, I'll, I'll kind of do the things I need to do. He just gets on with it in the situation he's in because that's the situation God has put him in. What that says to me is you and I are qualified to make disciples. It doesn't matter what our situation is because in the end, if everything is under God's control, if everything is in God's plan, where you are right now is where God wants you, He's given you everything you need to do this. You are qualified to make disciples. Ever since moving to Solihull and then going into lockdown, I and mean, we've been in Solihull a couple of years now, I've been thinking, how do I get to know people here? Right? Because that's what I need and want to do. The people I now work with, which is great, but who are my friends outside of the church here in Solihull? I've got friends in other places who I still meet with. We're all very busy people. But if you're too busy to make friends with people outside the church, I would like to ask you what you're filling your time with. What are your priorities? What is more important than a command from Jesus to go and make disciples? It's got to be our priority. You know, we were church planting for a number of years and, and, and as a church plant we were desperate as a group to make friends with people in the area and um, one of the guys, I'm sure I've told this story before, one of the guys rang me up and he said, my neighbour has finally invited me into his house to watch the football tonight, will you come with me? Because we wanted to make sure that people we knew, lots of people within the church and just mix. Problem was, it was life group that night, and I was leading the meeting. 
I won't go into all the ins and outs of the various conversations that took place, but I said, no, sorry, I can't do it. I'm leading life, but I've got responsibility here. I then got a phone call from someone else in the church plan pointing out to me all the ways I was wrong in my answer. And he wasn't the guy who pulled his punches. And I'm grateful for that because he put me right. I needed to hear. The life group will manage okay without you. Who do you think you are? <laughs> You've got an opportunity to hang out with people. Forget the meeting. It's not important. The people in that meeting were saved. They were going to heaven. They, they didn't need me. They didn't need my sense of self-importance amongst them. In the end, I did go, and it was great. And I got to know this guy's neighbours, and, and he had a lot of input into, into some of them who, who were having some, going through some difficult times. And it, it was incredible. And it made me think, we see the images on TV sometimes. You see these adverts for people like WaterAid and, and others, and, and they show people who are starving, who don't have water, and you feel that sense of guilt because you're sitting there with all the clean water and more food than you really need. And you feel that sense of, oh man, I feel a bit guilty about this. Do we feel the same way when we're sat meeting after meeting after meeting, growing fat with the knowledge of the word of God, knowing Jesus, but ignoring the starving around us? It would be like saying, I've got the COVID jab, but I'm keeping it for myself, and I'm not giving it to you lot who are dying. How, how ridiculous is that? I don't think we see the gospel like that. We don't see those around us who are literally dying. Without the knowledge of Jesus. And it doesn't do anything in us. It should break us. It should cause us to be on our knees saying, God, how do I do this? You know, sometimes on a Sunday morning, I choose not to be here. And I go to Bromsgrove, where I used to live, to ride my bike with a couple of friends who aren't Christians. <gasps> How shocking. One of the elders doesn't come on a Sunday morning and goes out and rides his bike. He's practically heathen. We need to make time for people and sacrifice things to make time with people. And if that means a meeting goes, so be it. So be it. It's fine. I'm telling you, it's fine. We have to make time for people who don't know Jesus. I said to someone recently, do you know what? Don't get me wrong. I love gathering, and the people of God should gather, and it's biblical to gather. Just, you know, let me state that just to make sure you understand my position here. It is right, and it's biblical for us to gather like this, worship together, and learn together. But if I don't get to every single one of them. I'm not sure it's going to damage my relationship with Jesus or you guys. But if I never see my friends who aren't Christians, there is some damage being done there. And so we've got to get this right. And I don't have all the answers for getting this right, okay? I'm learning this stuff as well. I've been trying to do this. Don't always get it right. 
So we need to gather people. We need to be amongst people. But how do we see them transformed? I don't have time to go into all this this morning. But I'm going to give you a taster and I'm going to be cheeky and advertise. So when uh, the, on Thursday, uh, when it was talked about the life groups that were changing the way we're doing that in the autumn and we're actually running some, some different sort of streams of learning for people to pick from, from September-ish to half-term and half-term to Christmas, so you get to do two. If that's not a very good explanation, ask me afterwards. Um, so what I'm doing is about discipleship. And this is the kind of stuff we're going to talk about. And I'm not going to go, right, here's all the answers. I'm going to say, guys, how do we do this? Here's some ideas. Let me hear your ideas. Let me hear your successes and failures. Let's talk to each other. Let's grow as a movement of people that disciple those out there and see them one. It's going to look really different. But anyway, what do we do with people? Pointers, a few pointers of some of the things we need to do. Firstly, we need to introduce people to God, and a good way of doing that is through stories about Him. And we have a whole book full of stories. And then we need to introduce people, when we've introduced them to those stories, we need to introduce them to the Bible and teach them to feed themselves. One of the things I've noticed is because we've become accustomed to this style of doing things, and again, I'm not knocking it, but sometimes we get so accustomed to it, we, get, we sit there, we say, feed me, and we don't understand how to feed ourselves. You know, my children know how to feed themselves now. It would be weird if all of them, I mean, they're, they're 16 and up, it would be weird if I was still going... Open your mouth, here's the food. Now I do that with my grandson. Well, I haven't done that with my grandson, but now I get the opportunity to do that with my grandson. That's the way it should be. They learn to feed themselves. We need Christians who can feed themselves and teach others to feed themselves. That's what it is. You make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We teach them to feed themselves. We teach them to pray and we teach them to pass it on. There needs to be an expectation amongst those who are becoming Christians that it's passed on. I think we've settled into a place where many Christians don't feel that urge. They, they, they forget that this isn't meant just for me. This is, it's normal to replicate. So Jesus told stories. That's how he communicated what the kingdom of God was like. If you know someone who needs healing, tell one of the healing stories from the Bible. And Satan, what, what do you see here? What does this mean to you? Is this something you would like? Here's one I've used at work before, in another place that I worked. Matthew 18. Now, I didn't go into them and say, right, hang on a minute, Matthew 18. I told them the story from Matthew 18, or, or the instructions from Matthew 18, of how you make peace with people. So some people had fallen out, gotten together, and said, right, you need to go and talk to them about that. If, they, if, they, if, they can't, if you can't resolve it, just the two of you, come back to me and I'll help you. And then if we can't resolve it between the three of us, then maybe we need to look at some formal disciplinary process. 
It's Matthew 18. We teach people from the Bible. And then what we do is we say, so what I've just taken you through, you know, that's what that was in the Bible. Jesus taught that. Let's not back off from going that next step. Tell them that's in the Bible. Now, it may be that you know someone well enough to go, do you want to know more about that? Do you want to know more about what's in the Bible? Let me tell you some more. But slowly we build up a picture of the Bible, of Jesus' teaching, of who Jesus is. But in turn, we make disciples. So we tell them the story and then we say, who do you know that would probably need to hear that today? So you tell someone the story about healing and, and they identify that. Jesus loves to heal people. Okay, he wants to heal you. Do you know anyone who Jesus wants to heal today who would benefit from Jesus' healing? Go and do it. Don't ask them whether the, well, do you know that Jesus died for your sin and, you know, all these steps. You don't need to take particular steps. Go and teach someone else. And they start teaching people. This is the kind of movement we want. This is the kind of people we want. And this is what we're going to explore in the autumn that I really am not doing a very good job of telling you about today. Today, I just want to get you excited about the fact that we can do this. I want to get you examining your attitude towards this, towards reaching out to those around you, but also giving you a taster of this is what we can do. And it's very, very simple. Anybody can do it. This works with children. Children can do this. Children can tell the stories. Anybody can tell the stories. I need to wrap up. So what are we going to do? As a church, we are committed to finding ways to make disciples who make disciples. We are committed to that. We are going to do that. If it means changing things, we will change things. We are going to do this. But it needs all of us. Because this isn't about me standing here. This isn't about certain experts that you bring people to. This is about us sharing what we know about Jesus with those around us. This is about us doing that. So my challenges are this. Give thought and then time to making friends and being around them. Give them your time. If it means changes in your life in order to get to know people who don't know Jesus, then make those changes. Then don't be afraid to share stories with them. Stories from the Bible, stories about Jesus, stories about the changes He's made in you. And see what God does. You see, this is the strategy given by Jesus, so it works. It works. But what we can't do and what we mustn't do is just trundle along, comfortable in the knowledge that we're okay, and leave it there. We can't do it. We cannot afford to allow the poor in spirit of Solihull, those who don't know Jesus, those who are lost, those who are dying, literally dying without Jesus. We cannot afford 
to sit back and let that continue. We have to make changes. And we'll talk more about that in the autumn uh, in the group that I'm going to be doing. This is just a shameless plug for that group, isn't it? But we'll do that. We want to train people. We want to train you to be able to make disciples. We want to give you all the tools you need in order to make this happen. We will do that. They are easy. Anybody can do it. I'm repeating myself now, so I'm going to finish here. I'm going to pray for us because I think I think I don't know how this is all going to work in some ways. But I know God's on it and God wants us to do it. And so I'm going to pray for us and, uh, and then we will finish. So let's stand together, shall we? Are we still on the live stream? Yeah, great. So for some people here, this is going to mean big changes. For some people here, it's business as usual because you're already doing it. I want us to seriously consider now where we are at with this. Because what we can't do is get all excited and say, yeah, I'm going to do it, and not understand the implications. The moment we get out there is the time we get on the edge and the time that persecution begins along with it. There's all sorts of ramifications. I want you now to seriously consider, what is my response to this? What do I need to change in order to be around these people who don't know Jesus? What? What is that going to mean for me? You may not be able to do that all this morning, but I want you to get on that thought process. And then I'm going to pray for us as you respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come now, I pray. Come and touch those areas of our lives that need to change. Prompt us, convict us, Change us. Show us those who you want us to be friends with and speak to. Show us those people that you want us to start making your disciples. Holy Spirit, as we consider those people, just provoke us. Just provoke us. Come upon us. Show us where we need to change in order to reach people effectively. As David drew people in and turned them into a mighty fighting force, we want to draw people in and turn them into a mighty following of you. People full of your spirit. A crazy replication of your kingdom spreading out of control. Holy Spirit, put your finger on where we need to change. Show us.
And I pray as we, as we go from this place that you will give us opportunities. You will open our eyes to opportunities to speak. Bring stories to mind, those stories to mind that we can communicate effectively to people. Help us just to do that, even though we're not always sure quite where it's going to lead or quite what we're doing with this. Guide us, be with us, send us. Let's go into all the world. Let's go into Solihull. Let's go into the surrounding nations and areas and make disciples of everyone we come across. Help us, Jesus. Amen.